Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. This really knocked me off my game here. <laughs> my colleague, co-host Katie Greifeld, and my producer, Eric Mullo, neither of them have seen Top Gun. No. I can't even imagine what it's about. So uh, the homework for the kids today is go home, get a streaming service of your choice, and stream Top Gun. That's the homework because we got Top Gun 2 coming out, and you got to be prepared for that. Dan, I know, I know Dan Genter's seen Top Gun. Dan Genter, CEO, Chairman, RNC, Genter, Capital Management. Dan, are you a Top Gun fan? I am absolutely a Top Gun Boom. fan. I've seen it several <laughs> times. I'm actually a pilot myself, so it's like that my, explains my, it. my theme movie. And I just, I, uh, in line with you, I can't believe they haven't seen it, but I, but I have faith in the future that they will go home and look at this and round out their education. Yes, in life. I, I can't agree more. All right, Dan, let's get back to these pesky markets here. We have some green on the screen today, but boy, the, the bricks that are in this wall of worry, there's just a lot of them. How are you looking at these markets today? What are you telling your clients? Well, I, I think that what you have to do, Paul, is what you always have to do in these kind of situations and crisis is that the you have to really cut through to the fundamentals. You, it's not that you can't totally ignore the emotion because obviously the market is going to trade on emotion. Otherwise, we just trade at a constant PE at all times. But you still have to come back. Or what are the fundamentals of this market? You know, talking about aviation, you started at thirty thousand foot look, and you basically look at the overall economics. And in essence, are we are we going into a recession? And the, and the fact is, you know, we're not. You know, we're, we're slowing. Earnings is slowing. Certainly growth is going to slow. But, but, look, we're still going to be probably above Fed expectations at at least 2.5%, 3% GDP growth, you know, going in through the remainder of this year in 2023. We think that earnings are certainly going to slow, but we're probably going to see S&P 500 earnings up 5 or 6%. And so, therefore, you don't have a recession. The market's probably going to be flat, slightly up. We see about a 8% market you know, over the next 12 months. And uh, mainly, probably some P.E. contraction, but earnings are going to drive the rest of it. And so, it's still, it's, a, it's now very much of a stock picker's market. And uh, you can buy into the, some of this weakness and certainly the volatility we're seeing. And that's what we're doing. Well, let's wrap some of the movements that we've seen in commodity markets into that, because obviously all eyes have been on crude oil for, you know, several months now. And uh, I mean, we're looking at crude oil at uh, close to $100 a barrel, about $102 a barrel. I mean, assuming we stay around this range, I mean, what does that mean for, you know, the fundamentals of the U.S. economy and for companies, you know, dealing with those input costs? Well, Katie, I mean, you're absolutely right, is that th this market is driven independent of, of the war, obviously, which is a major factor. But from an economic standpoint, it's being driven by oil and inflation. And, and even though oil is only 3% of the inflationary inputs now uh, versus where it was many years ago, it's still a, a major factor when you start to look at how it affects every individual and, and how it affects their disposable income. Uh, I mean, the, the current increases that we've had in oil, we estimate, is going to cost the average family uh, uh, over $1,000 a year more. And so something's going to give with that. So a stabilization in oil is very key to us. We think that equilibrium is somewhere around $80. 
but it's going to affect earnings, and that's part of what we're factoring in, that it's going to slow the economy from overall consumption because we're driven 70% by consumption. And if you take money away from people, an increase in oil prices is basically like a tax. Uh, you basically you take it away from people. Uh, it doesn't add anything to productivity. They just lose the ability to spend on something else, and therefore earnings go down. It affects consumer, uh, mainly consumer, uh, non-durables, but also durables. So that's to us as part of that slowing effect. Anytime you have uh, you know that displacement, if you will, in inflation, it goes through the whole system. But I don't think that that takes us negative. It just takes us to where we're at slower growth. So that's kind of where I wanted to go, Dan, because a lot of folks are saying, boy, this Federal Reserve, it is clearly communicated that it wants to fight inflation in part through rate increases. But the risk is maybe they go too far, too fast and push this economy into a recession and nobody wants that. How do you kind of weigh those risks? Well, look, I think it's baked in that one thing, you know, with regards to Chairman Powell's, he's being has been extraordinarily transparent. I believe he's also doing that now. I don't think we're going to be surprised, and the, and the market's largely discounting a lot of that already. I mean, we've, we've had a 100 basis points increase, uh, not exactly a parallel shift, but close to it. Certainly the 10 years up 100 basis points uh, since November. And so a lot of it's baked in the cake already, and, and they are going to slow it. Now, we feel that we'll see definitely another 75 and almost certainly another 100 basis points from here. You know, we've modeled that out. Uh, to see what does that really do to us. We think it's largely baked. It's baked into our numbers with what I mentioned earlier for uh, S&P earnings growth and also for the overall economy. Uh, certainly, it's going to squeeze the housing market. Uh, you know, it's, it just makes everything, once again, more expensive. It really adds to inflation, if you will, because your cost of money is going to be higher. You know, well, now, whether they overshoot it, I mean, personally, I think that they'll go slower. Uh, they'll continue with 25, 25, 25 as the, as the data comes in. But it wouldn't be unusual for them to do a 50. Matter of fact, if you look historically, usually the first time the Fed reverses course, right. from, uh, they go 50. They go 50 at the beginning, whether they're raising or lowering, they go 50. And at the end, they go 50, the signal that they've stopped. Okay. So it, it would not be out of normal to see that. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for joining us there. Always appreciate getting your perspective. Dan Genter, CEO, CIO, and chairman. He's also a pilot of RNC Genter Capital Management here. Now let's go to Lynn Franco and break down some of those um, consumer confidence numbers. She's the director of economic indicators and surveys at the conference board. Lynn, talk to us about uh, the consumer today. What did your data show you? Well, we're seeing that uh, consumer confidence is holding steady. So we went from 105.7 last month to 107.2. Uh, but it really is being supported by uh, the present conditions, where consumers are telling us at least the economy remains on somewhat stable footing. And that's really just because we have very strong employment conditions. So that's really sort of boosting consumer confidence. Looking ahead, uh, we've seen expectations uh, continue to deteriorate um, within consumer citing both inflation, especially rising prices at the gas pump, and the war in Ukraine as um, sort of uh, the reasons why they are a little bit more apprehensive about the outlook. And you mentioned that, you know, there is a lot of confidence in the labor market. And in looking at this morning's data, so the share of consumers who said jobs were plentiful increased to a record high of about 57.2%. But I mean, 
how how much work is that confidence in the labor market doing right now? Because of course, you know, we're dealing with record high inflation. It seems like that hasn't undermined the labor market yet. Correct. And in fact, our inflation question hit an all time high. So it's really being offset uh, by strong employment conditions. Um, but, you know, we do expect inflation and, you know, the war in Ukraine to continue to provide headwinds both to growth, spending and confidence. Uh, so it remains to be seen just how, you know, well confidence holds up. And in terms of overall growth, we do have it uh, somewhat weaker uh, than last month. Uh, our outlook has uh, maybe GDP uh growing at about 1.7 in Q1 down to 1.3 in Q2, and also consumer spending softening as a result of higher inflation. Lynn, I mean, it, the labor market just fascinates me. I'm still wondering where those three, four, five million people are that were in the workforce pre-pandemic. Where are they now? Uh, are they going to come back? What's the data you've seen, the analysis you've done about those people? Well, we've seen, you know, in particular, you know, women have been hard hit, right? And child care has been an issue. Uh, so this is sort of one segment of the labor market uh, that continues to uh, sort of uh, hasn't quite bounced back um, from, you know, pre-COVID pandemic levels. Uh, so I think that's going to continue for the next couple of months. Um, but what we're seeing here, and I think what we expect to see at the end of the week, are pretty good employment numbers. So at least that will continue to support uh, consumer confidence and growth in the short term. And then focusing on the consumer, uh, you know, a question we ask a lot is, okay, when does inflation increase to the point where, you know, people start putting off purchases or stop spending as much money as they have been? Um, I'm curious, you know, what you see uh, in regards to that question. Well, we see a little bit of, uh, you know, inflation and also, I think, you know, interest rate hikes in anticipation of having a little bit of a softening effect, at least that we're seeing um, over the last few months and, you know, sort of automobile purchases, home purchases, you know, we've seen that mortgage rates have gone up. So sort of these big ticket items that are uh, interest rate sensitive, uh, we're beginning to see a little bit of softening there as well. Lynn, some economists are introducing the word recession into their talking points. Is that a meaningful risk for the U.S. economy in your, from your perspective? From our perspective, we don't see a recession. Uh, we do see softening in growth and in consumer spending over the next several months. But at this point, uh, we're not forecasting a recession. All right, Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. As always, Lynn Franco, the Director of Economic Indicators and Surveys at the Conference Board, breaking down the consumer confidence number today, which came out a little bit better than expected. It is finally time to talk about crypto. We're going to do that with Greg King. He is the CEO of Osprey Funds. Uh, they offer access to cryptos such as Solana, Bitcoin, uh, Polkadot, you name it, via traditional vehicles. Greg, it's great to have you with us. Let's start with the big rebound that we've seen in the crypto space over the past week or so. I'm looking at Bitcoin at just a hair below $48,000 per coin. How has that translated uh, into flows in your funds? Are you seeing cash come in? So uh, the Bitcoin fund uh, that we operate is uh, traded on the secondary market under the ticker OBTC. Um, it's similar to um, the Grayscale Trust that's been out for a long time. It's just uh, at a different price point, more, more uh, less expensive for investors. But these products trade a little bit differently than actual Bitcoin because there's a fixed supply. So they trade at premiums and discounts. 
And in times like this, when the price is rallying, you can see that discount narrow. For a long time, those products traded at a premium, but over the last year or so, they've been trading at a discount. So it is an interesting opportunity for investors to get a hold of Bitcoin at, at basically less than face value. All right, Greg, so we are going into a significantly rising interest rate environment. Do we have any data to show how crypto performs in that type of environment? It's a great question. I, I think the, the part that we're focused on is uh, real rates, right? Because unfortunately, real rates are pretty severely negative with the inflation numbers we've seen, 7.5% and the 10 years, you know, 25 And so in those environments, the, the natural comparison, of course, to Bitcoin, um, for those of us kind of living in that world, is the old world version of Bitcoin, gold, right? And I know a lot of people out there are cringing when I say that, but the reality is that Bitcoin has established itself as a digital substitute for gold. And so we would expect it to behave similarly. And negative real interest rate environments are fantastic for gold historically. So you are seeing some of that uh, develop in the price of Bitcoin. You've also seen a few announcements with, um, I think it started a few weeks ago with the White House putting out the directive to, um, you know, responsibly innovate with digital assets. Um, but then more recently, there were some announcements um, by a group in Korea that, you know, uh, audience members are not deep into the crypto world. They may not have heard of, but it's a large stablecoin project um, called Terra that's buying quite a bit of Bitcoin for its reserves. And so you have these new, um, you know, digital asset participants almost acting like miniature central banks and using Bitcoin as their own reserve asset. And Greg, I want to circle back to a point you made, the fact that OBTC, uh, your inaugural product, it's trading at a discount similar to the Grayscale product, GBTC. And, mm -hmm. you know, the way you framed it as, you know, you can pick up Bitcoin at a discount, uh, the pushback would be that long-term holders of this trust, you know, they, they've really seen their investments erode and they're, they're now, they would have been better off holding Bitcoin itself. And I'm curious, how do you fix the, the discount if you, there is a fixed supply of your trust. I know that Grayscale has been buying back shares of the trust, or rather their mm. parent company has. Have you considered anything similar? We have. We have. I think that um, what we're focused on, we keep pretty close tabs on the um, SEC and the regulatory environment. I think that's that's one of the themes you're seeing uh, this year that's, that's constructive. Um, you did get the Bitcoin futures. Uh, ETF approved. You've got, the, you know, the Biden White House putting on the directive. Um, there seems to be movement that's establishing some amount of clarity on the regulatory side, which is all good for the prospects of something like a Bitcoin ETF. And so our focus would be to uh, convert our fund to an ETF when that's possible. And at that point, we'd expect it to trade in line with fair value. By the way, your comment earlier, I think, I think is... Um, totally dependent on when investors came in to, you know, either our product or other right. people's product, you know, so it's, it's really a, everybody's got their own story in terms of when they came in um, and when they, when they came out. But, you know, it's an unfortunate situation in the sense that the regulatory environment has just taken, uh, I mean, you had the Winklevoss twins filing for the first Bitcoin ETF in 2013. Right. 
And right, I mean, given that ago. we have been waiting so long, we did get movement in October. We got that derivatives back Bitcoin fund uh, that mm -hmm. does, didn't seem to be the holy grail that the crypto industry was waiting for, though. When do you think we could see movement and an approval of a physically backed Bitcoin ETF? Well, a couple of your own analysts wrote an article the other day about uh, the SEC's proposal to expand the definition of the word exchange and some of the regulation. Um, this could open up the possibility for uh, an ETF sooner um, rather than later. However, when I say sooner in SEC speak, that's, you know, a year-ish yeah. or, or more. Um, I'm not sure personally that Mr. Gensler is very keen on the idea of a, a spot Bitcoin ETF. He seems to have gotten comfortable with the idea of futures-based, obviously, um, but primarily that's because um, you know, the futures are, are regulated instruments, whereas Bitcoin itself is not. So, you know, the, the definition of the word exchange being expanded could, uh, you know, capture like a Coinbase and therefore the trading of Bitcoin on that exchange would, by definition, become regulated trading um, and so on and so forth. So it would be a step in that direction. But I, I still think there are other factors to consider. The main one is Bitcoin trades so much offshore, and yep. that's just really not uh, something that they can observe directly. All right. Greg King, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Always uh, like chatting, getting the update on all things crypto. Greg King, CEO and founder of Osprey Funds. Uh, again, they've got the, uh, a secure cost-effective access to a select group of crypto via traditional vehicles. That's what the folks at Osprey do. All right, let's talk to our next guest because I really want to get uh, her thoughts here because I she has a really interesting view of this market that perhaps investors should be uh, on the lookout for bear market rallies, which I find very interesting. Katerina Simonetti, Senior Vice President and Private Wealth Advisor for Morgan Stanley. So, Katerina, are you buying this move higher in the markets or is this a bear market rally? Paul, well, thank you for having me on. Um, this is a good question, right? We had uh, a pretty big pullback followed by seemingly a big rally. But the question is, um, are we in the bear market? And we believe so. We believe that, yes, in fact, this is a bear market. We have been in a bear market for quite some time. Uh, we came into this year concerned about valuations, Fed tightening, inflation, growth slowdown, you know, all of the above. And, of course, the war in Ukraine introduced this new component of now unpredictability and making all these concerns that we have, you know, significantly, you know, worse. Now, this is not to say that there are no pockets of opportunity in this market. There absolutely are. And investors should be in position to take advantage of them. But they are fair market rallies, and they have to be seen as such. And it is very important for the outlook for the remainder of this year, and in fact, for the next year as well. And could, Katerina, wrap in what we're seeing in some of these mega cap tech names in, because we're looking at Apple's at Apple's 11th straight days day of gains. That is the longest streak since 2003. I don't think smartphones even existed back then. But the fact that you are seeing such importantly big parts of the market also contribute in this, you know, maybe it's a dead cat bounce. I mean, how does that change the profile of this bear market? Does that shorten the time that we might be in it? Well, uh, Katie, you, you raise a really good point. Um, in the market that is volatile, that also introduces the pockets of speculation, uh, investors tend to go with some of the names 
in sectors that that are comfortable with. And if you look over the last couple of years, tech has done extremely well. So this is a known that for an active investor, you know, is what they go with. Uh, but in fact, even though I 100% agree that this is definitely a stock pickers market, this is not a good time to buy the index, we would guide the investors towards more defensive sectors, financials, healthcare, real estate, utilities. We would like for them to actually use the dips in the market between these bear market rallies to increase the quality of the investment portfolios and dig in, dig in for the volatility, dig in for the unknown, because this war, you know, we don't know how long it's going to last. And the effects that it is having on global economy in terms of oil and gas prices, in terms of supply chain interruptions, in terms of cost of, of transportation, and how all of this is going to translate into our economy and economy on the global level, you know, it is still unknown. So we have to take advantage of the buying opportunities, but instead of just focusing on the sectors that have done well in the past, like technology, we think that it's a much smarter move to go into the sectors that will be positioned well going forward and strategically, you know, prepare the portfolios for heightened level of volatility. Katarina, how concerned are you that perhaps this Federal Reserve does not get it right, does not engineer a soft landing, and in fact, through their rate policy, pushes this economy into a recession? Is that in your forecast? Paul, uh, I think that that Fed is taking the overall global situation and specifically the level of inflation that is historically unprecedented very seriously. They are, um, there's no certain terms that the Fed is going to be aggressive in their rate increases. Uh, but in my opinion, economy is strong enough to accommodate these rate increases. So when we're looking overall at the economy, we certainly have our share of concerns, but we're not seeing the recession in the books for us, at least for this year. Next year remains to be seen, you know, but we are paying close attention to earnings. Of course, you know, the valuations and so far valuations have been looking, you know, better than expected, but we think that the negative revisions are going to continue. Um, and even though we're not pulling for the recession at the moment, you know, we expect higher volatility. And that is the message that, you know, we are uh, really conveying to our, to our clients in you know number of different ways. That's why quality of the investment portfolios is more important than ever. Positive, uh, real yield sensitivity of the holdings. You know, if before we were kind of looking at the dividend income or just generally income generating ability of portfolios from perspective of fixed income as just a kind of value added. Now it's more important than ever that at this historically you know high levels of inflation that that portfolios will be able to weather the storm. But in my opinion, Fed is um, has has very strong resolve in order to get it right this time. All right, Katerina, thanks so much for joining us uh, yet again. We appreciate getting your views of these market and beware of bear market rallies is kind of my takeaway here. Katerina Simonetti, Senior Vice President of Private Wealth Management uh, at Morgan Stanley, uh, and they've got a huge private wealth uh, business over there, Morgan Stanley. Uh, they've really doubled down on that business over the last decade, I would say. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.